as I said earlier, it is Racial Justice Sunday today. And obviously, that is something that is way beyond one Sunday. It's something that we want to be thinking about, praying about, um, and fighting for all the time, not just today. Um, the Bible teaches us that every person is beautifully and individually made, and we want to fight for justice in all spheres of society, especially against racial injustice. Our journey with this as a church... Um, continued kind of after the murder of George Floyd. It was something that we thought about, we prayed about, uh, we discerned and spoke together. Um, and you can find out more about kind of our journey with that on our website. But one of the important things that we wanted to say is that out of that, uh, we felt called towards four responses, which were to pray, to listen, to learn, and to act. And tonight is an opportunity to do all four of those things. Um, so I am really excited to invite Victoria to speak to us. Victoria is a member of our congregation. This is Victoria's very first preach in St. Nick, so we're very excited to welcome her. Can you welcome her to the stage? And over to you, Victoria. Good evening, church. Thank you so much for your warm welcome. Um, yeah, how's everyone? How's everyone doing? Good. Yeah, so it is absolute honor and privilege to be able to come here this evening and share God's word um, with you all. As Josh mentioned, um, today is Racial Justice Sunday, and we're actually continuing our series from which Toby kicked us off with last week called Distinct. Um, and today I'd like to talk to you about what it means to be distinct, um, to be called as people of God for radical justice. So last week, uh, Toby said that holiness comes from God through Jesus Christ. And he mentioned three things, to follow, so to find Jesus, to follow Jesus, and to be filled with Jesus. And we read from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 1, God addresses the children of Israel. He says, be holy for I am holy. And this phrase is repeated several times throughout the Old Testament when God is forming his covenant with Israel. Now to give you a bit of context, from the beginning of the Bible, holiness has always been a marker of distinction, a quality of being different from, a sign of separation, as Toby mentioned, holiness comes from the Hebrew word kadosh, which means to be cut off, set apart, separated from, unique or sacred. So if we look at our reading from today, Deuteronomy chapter 10. You can have your Bibles or your phones. Deuteronomy chapter 10, from verse 17, we'll read to 22. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him. Take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God 
who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Your ancestors who went down into Egypt were 70 in all, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. These verses that we've just read form the framework of this new covenant that God was forming. Why new? Well, if you see in the beginning of the chapter of Deuteronomy 10, a few verses before, we see that the first copy of the covenant had been broken. In a holy rage, Moses had broken the first copy of the covenant. So God in his mercy says, all right, get a new one. So God now starts to form um, a new covenant with him. And the foundation of these covenants are two key principles. The first, that the children of Israel knew that in order for them to be holy, they needed to recognize that God himself is a holy God. It's as simple as that. God himself is a holy God. His name, El HaKadosh, which is the Hebrew for the holy God, that name evokes the full distinctiveness of God and who he is. And it was especially useful for the Israelites to know this name, to know who this El HaKadosh was. Because they, see, they were in the midst of a lot of pagan nations. They were in the midst of the lure of the worship of other gods. These words that are in these first few verses that we read, God of all gods, Lord of all lords, great God, mighty, awesome. These words should resonate the truth of the distinct nature of God. So when we say, when we come here and we say, Lord, there is no one like you, we truly need to recognize that there is no one like you. And this covenant that we speak of was actually first established with Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. Abraham, who is the father of the nation of Israel, God uses this covenant and he says to him, now there will be a physical, a physical marker of this holiness, a physical marker of this being set apart onto him. And that was the sign of circumcision. And circumcision was that marker of distinction. And it served as an outward sign of this difference. But as we see through veins of scripture, God begins to, God begins to stir up the nation of Israel to actually to go beyond just the physical marker of circumcision, but rather to have a circumcision of the heart. What does that mean? Circumcision of the heart. That means that we live our lives in a way that is separated unto God, that is separated from our old way of doing things that is separated from a culture that goes against the will of God. A couple of weeks ago, I'm sure some of you are witnesses, we all um, celebrated the baptism of six people who decided to have the outward expression of the inward change. Their hearts had been circumcised. They had decided to live separate from what they were living before. And the baptism that we all here were celebrating was the outward sign of that expression. The second principle, and the one that I really want to focus in on today, is that this covenant served as a moral marker of distinction for God's people. They were to imitate love and justice to one another in the very same way this holy God did. 
as a God who is holy, defends the cause of the orphans, the widow, the foreigners, the poor. His people were expected to do the same. In the ancient Middle East, the only people who had the social, economic, and legal privileges was the Israelite adult male. So these groups that God mentions, orphans, widows, foreigners, poor, these people were very much on the outskirts of society. They were very much marginalized. And it was easy, of course, for them to be taken advantage of. So God's mandate from the inception of this covenant with these people was to recognize his holiness and live out that holiness practically with their relationship to God and to one another. In radical justice, and Jesus echoes this in Mark chapter 12, Mark chapter 12, verse 30, says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Time and time again, God's real problem with Israel and the reason he kept bringing judgment was that when they sinned, they were steeped in rebellion in these two principles. Idolatry worship. They did not recognize the holiness of God. And second, the mistreatment of those who cannot defend themselves. They did not love their neighbor as themselves. And so God sends prophets. And there are many examples. I'll give you some. Isaiah chapter 1. God presents a court case against Israel. He's tired of their sacrifices, tired of their, pray, of their prayers. He's not listening. And he's not hearing. He's not answering them. Instead, he tells them to stop doing evil. They must defend the cause of the orphans, the widows, and the foreigners. Several generations later, the children of Israel are in exile. God sends the prophet Zechariah, God says again, speaks to the children of Israel, questioning them of the motives of their hearts. All their religious practices, fasting, prayers, were nothing, absolutely nothing to God because they did not exercise justice for those who were oppressed. I could go on, Micah chapter 6. What will please the Lord? What what is it that we can bring? What is it must we offer? Must we offer more sacrifices? Must we give him more offerings? No. Chapter 6, verse 8 of Micah says, and this is what he requires of you. Do what is right to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So we've seen throughout the Bible different instances and examples of what God requires from his people, what God, what holiness looks like for his people. I guess the question we're asking, like, okay, that's great, but what, what does that look like for me? What does that look like for us today in 21st century Bristol? What does that look like? I remember when I came to university uh, at Leeds, I was very, I, I lived a very sheltered Christian life um, in South Africa. I, I'm a daughter of a pastor, so I grew up in church, went to a Christian school, had Christian friends, and had pretty much lived the first 18 years of my life in this Christian bubble. Coming to university was the first time I really 
I had the opportunity, not as a test, but to kind of exercise, you know, flex my muscles a bit <laughs> in terms of what I what I what I'd learned, what I'd been taught. Um, and one example was um, my friends, like my housemates. I was the only Christian in my house, and they'd always be like, "Where are you going?" I, so, growing up, we'd had these like devotional times, um, and I tried my best to stick to at least one of them, which was the evening devotional times. So, whatever we were doing, whether we were in the dining room, you know, having we were all theology students, so we were all, like, you know, we'd like discuss like the theological significance of Mufasa in The Lion King. Um, <laughs> and we'd be in the middle of like a heated debate and I'd be like, oh, sorry guys, gotta go. And I'd go to my room and, and one of my housemates, she kind of came to me one day and asked me about it. She was like, like, why do you, like, why do you care so much? Like, what makes you like go to your room and like do your, like, what do you call it? I'm like, yeah, devotions, yeah. She's like, yeah, like, why do you care? And, you know, I explained to her, I'm like, well, I care because it's my way of showing my commitment to God. Like, it's my way of trying to maintain what, you know, I had known. And a couple of weeks later, she came back to me. And she said, you know, she was really moved by that, what I said about being committed. And she actually decided to go to church. She hadn't been to church since she was like a choir girl, since she was 15. And she said when she went to church, she just felt such a stirring in her heart that God loved her and he cared. And she said she was just sat there in tears, like she never experienced anything like that. But it was just a case of just making that conscious decision to separate myself. And not in a not in a non-social way, not to be non-social about it, but to actually just make a stand for what you believe in. Make a stand for just a small conscious decision. You never even know without you realizing it, the effect it can have to those around you. And it still glorifies God in that way. And the Apostle Peter, he kind of proclaims these words again. He's speaking to Christians who are in a Gentile empire. He says that in his letter that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. If God has called us into his light, it doesn't really make sense to keep running back into the darkness and only coming out into the light when we feel comfortable. Holiness is available to the current wider family of God. It's available, as Toby mentioned last week, through Jesus Christ. The work that Jesus did on the cross offers a new marker, offers a circumcision of our heart, a separation onto God alone that allows us to navigate our lives in this world in a way that influences and reflects the holiness of God our Savior. With life in Christ, the impossible is possible with God. With life in Christ, repeat it with me, the impossible is possible with God and I'm sure like I've shared this testimony before but I had an impossible situation doctors um, had given me 48 hours to live upon receiving my diagnosis of lupus and my mom told me I remember and I have a very 
vague memory of this, but one night I was on the ventilator machine and I couldn't speak, but I was kind of signal signaling to my mom that I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And my mom went to go call the nurse who was on duty that night, told her what was happening. Nurse checked the machine, said, oh no, it's fine, like, she's fine. My mom's like, well, she's clearly not. <laughs> she's signaling that she can't breathe. And my mom insisted that the doctor came in. So the doctor came in and had concluded actually what was causing me not to breathe was actually the blood that was dripping um, through the vent that they'd put and um, blocking my airways. So I was rushed to the operating theater um, and the doctor told my mom, like, if you hadn't come in the time you did, like, we could have lost her. And the lupus um, had just completely ravaged me mentally, physically, emotionally. Um, I ended up weighing about four stone, which is 28 kg. A skeleton of myself, I couldn't recognize any member of my family. And yet God decided for some reason in his mercy to come through and he brought healing to not just my body, but to my soul and my mind. And so when, 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 I, when I think about that experience, it really does make me recognize that when there is truly no one like him, there was no one who could care about me like him. There was no one who could heal my broken heart like he did. In Jesus, this holy God is revealed. And we often think about God as being, you know, too holy or too high up there to care. And, you know, to, in respect, he is. He is too holy for us. Romans 3 verse 23, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. We are not worthy of who he is. But yet he offers this life of love and redemption to us and to all those created in the image of God. All those created in the image of God. Josh mentioned today is Racial Justice Sunday. Now, Racial Justice Sunday, if you don't know, was founded from the aftermath of the tragic racial killing of Stephen Lawrence, a black teenager in South, from South London 30 years ago. And so the legacy of this has been churches across Britain and Ireland coming together to um, honor this legacy and to do work in light of the love of Jesus. So there are three things, three R's that they represent. They said, remember, remember the importance of racial justice. Number two is to reflect, reflect on the human diversity and thank God for it. Thank God for everyone that you see your neighbor, the person on your left, the person you might not get along with, they are created in the image of God. And the final is to respond by working to end injustice and racism and ignorance through prayer and action. This is a time I urge you to re-examine the stature of our hearts and to put them in direct alignment with the Holy God who is concerned for those that are silenced, oppressed, and marginalized. 
We live in a society that is built up on structures and systems that benefit some and exclude others. And as God's holy children, we should possess a distinctiveness that challenges, stands up to, and defends those that are marginalized. The mother of Stephen Lawrence, Baroness Doreen Lawrence, she says this, she says, the most profound social justice issues of our time demand a collective response. We must come together in coalition with brothers and sisters from across the Christian community and beyond to ensure that the church itself is reflective of the society we hope to build for future generations. Working together to end racism and discrimination in all its forms. Our moral marker of being holy, like the God we profess to worship, is found in the example of Jesus. We are called by him to pursue justice, to speak and stand against injustice. I wonder what breaks your heart or what makes your soul rage with holy anger? Do you have a heart for the widows, those whose companionship has gone, or the widowers who are lonely? Do you have a passion for foreigners, refugees, asylum seekers who have lost all sense of security? Or orphans? Do you share a holy anger to how they are being treated? Search your heart tonight. And if he, God is, if he's stirring you in some way, ask him to reveal to you, show you what he's asking of you. Lord, what action do I need to take? The Bible says faith without works is dead. We need to take action if we have a chance of changing the communities around us. Josh mentioned in the beginning, our vision here at St. Nick's is, come and say it with me now, the evangelization of the nation, yep. And the transformation of society. Well done, well done. You got, paying attention. That last part, the transformation of society, is taking from Jesus' words. Jesus came, he, he had a mission statement. Luke chapter 4, he reads from the prophet Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed. This is what Jesus comes to do. In him, holiness means that we all are redeemed. We are called to do the same. His mission is our mission. All people find redemption in Christ Jesus. God is not partial. God shows no favoritism. Romans chapter 2 verse 11 God shows no favoritism. Even in times of ancient Israel, when they were traveling in the camps, they were foreigners who were not Israelites that were among them. And they also received the same covenant and the same blessings that God gave to Israel, so as long as they had faith in the same God of Israel. Leviticus chapter 19 says, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. 
for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. There's a reason. God, God places the foundations of how we treat others based on who he is himself. In the same way, God has no constraints. He is a God that brings justice to those that he oppressed. Uh, Josh um, mentioned the God of the oppressed. I encourage you to read books such as from the great author like James Cone speaks about the, the God of the oppressed and what that means, that God is on the side of the oppressed. We are called to seek out justice in love. The Bible's call to justice refers to a restorative justice. Restorative justice starts with love. There's no space for cancel culture. It's not a cancel culture type of revenge. It starts in love and advocates to uplift the marginalized and the oppressed instead of taking vengeance. When the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 17, learn to do good, to seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of the orphans, fight for the right of widows. That means we need to come out of our comfort zones. We need to be actively persistent in pursuing what God wants. Seek to help, to defend, to fight. These aren't passive words. These are action words. They require movement out of our own comforts. We can't be comfortable if we intend to be like the holy God. If we intend to be like El HaKadosh, we have to move out of our comfort zones. Sitting back and watching injustice we perpetrated does not allow us to imitate the holiness of who God is. The prophetic call to holiness is through Jesus, his spirit. His spirit is what enables us. The Holy Spirit, Ruach Kadosh, the Holy Spirit is what enables us Give us the boldness to be able to defend, to love, and share this good news to all. There is no such thing as marginalization in God's kingdom. It doesn't exist in his vocabulary. There is no such thing as prejudice or bias in God's holy priesthood. There is no such thing as racism in God's family. This is our witness. Christ died for all. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, And he died for all, that all who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Christ is the distinct path, the way through which the holy God gives redemption to all people, including the widow, the widower, the orphans, the foreigners, the asylum seekers, those that are abused, those that have anxiety, those that are depressed, those that are lonely. Redemption is for all. This is the kingdom. We pray, Father, Father who art in heaven, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It starts on earth. Kingdom starts here. This evening, I wonder if you're asking God, where is the prejudice judgment, hardness in my heart? Where 
have I experienced injustice? Maybe you've had an encounter or you've had a bad experience and you need healing. Jesus Christ offers healing. Maybe you're sitting and saying, where, God is speaking to me. How, how can I stand? Where can I speak? Maybe you're in a person of precision. Maybe you're a person that people can listen to. Whichever pathway you find yourself in, ask God to reveal that. Reveal that to you. I love this picture. This is our second reading, actually, for tonight. This picture of heaven. Revelation chapter 9. I mean, sorry, chapter 7, verse 9 to 12. After this, I looked and I saw a multitude too large to count from every nation and tribe and people and tongue standing before the throne and before the lamb they were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice salvation to our god who sits on the throne and to the lamb and all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell face down before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. There's a song that I love from Maverick City called Kingdom, and it says, if you want to know what heaven looks like, it looks like me, and it looks like you. Shall we pray? Let us stand. Oh, holy God. Holy Father. You search the hearts and minds of all those here. We are not worthy, Lord, of who you are, but yet, through your son, Jesus Christ, you offer, you offer us, Lord, a life of love, a life of redemption. In your grace, Lord, help us, Lord, to be responsive to you and your word today. Let your Holy Spirit enable us, Lord, to seek out justice. Let your Holy Spirit enable us, Lord, to reflect the holiness of who you are in our everyday lives, in our coming and in our going. Lord, forgive us, Lord, for the times in which we have closed a blind eye to, to the voices or closed a, had a deaf ear to the voices of those crying out. Forgive us, Lord, for not, for not allowing our hearts to break for, you, for, your, for your people, to break for those that you died for, to break for those that you created in your image. And so, Lord, we pray that you meet us here tonight, Lord, with a stirring in our hearts. A stirring, Lord, a stirring of your spirit. That all those that 
we meet, we see the reflection of El HaKadosh. In all that we do, in all that we say, in all that we think. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. 